Today we finally complete our study through the book of Ruth. As we do so, we will begin with the reading of this 130th Psalm, and we'll go back to the book of Ruth to, to see some things there, and then return to Psalm 130. Let us hear the words of our God, a song of ascents. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. This ends the reading of God's holy, infallible word. May he write its truths on our hearts. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, as we gather in your name today, we pause to hear from you now and pray that you would speak into our hearts. We pray that you would open our eyes. We Pray that the Spirit would come and lead us and guide us into the truth. We pray that we would be able to set aside every distraction and turn our thoughts toward heaven now to hear your voice come and speak. We thank you for your word and we thank you for what you are doing in your church and all the glory is to you for her building up and her strengthening and edification and her growth. Lord, as we come together today, we are, are mindful of uh, how needful we are. And so we join our hearts together and pray for one another. Many who are uh, not well, infirmed, uh, sick, uh, hurting physically, emotionally, and Lord, we pray for your healing mercy. Lord, especially for those who are healing, who are hurting spiritually. Those who may have wandered away. Those who are in the depths, as the psalmist says. We lift them up to you and we pray, Father, for mercy. How we ask that for those who are hurting, we we pray for your healing mercy. We pray today for my cousin Brad and just ask, Father, that you would be gracious to heal his body. And Lord, more so strengthen his heart. I pray that he would be encouraged in his inner man. We pray today, Father, for this upcoming fire conference and how we ask, Lord, that you would please bless those who are speaking, bless those who are attending. We pray that it would be an encouraging time. We pray for for safe travels, for all those who are traveling in. Lord, may this be an uplifting week for your church through uh, this 
conference, we pray. Lord, we join together and pray for our brother Trevor Johnson and for his family. We pray for your healing mercy for him. We ask, Lord, that you please continue to direct the work of the mission in Papua New Guinea. We thank you for the testimony that we have heard and how the work continues on because of you, Father. We give you thanks and praise that you are reaching out and drawing those to you there whom you chose from before the foundation of the world. We pray today for our other missionaries and for their health and strength and for the provision of what they need to continue on. Lord, we joyfully partner with them and we pray that you bless what we are doing here, Father, in our gifts and in our prayers. We pray, Father, for a great revival wherever they are. We pray for hearts that would be opened and, and turn to you. We, we pray for revival for our nation. Lord, it is our only hope. The gospel alone is our only hope as we look to our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for healing. We pray for repentance. Lord, for all the, the many, many churches that have turned away and set your word aside how we pray for repentance and revival. And Lord, we thank you again for what you were doing here in our midst. And as we come together, we join together to pray as our Lord Jesus has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As I mentioned, we've completed our study through the book of Ruth. And previously we have returned here for three sessions. Uh, we looked a few weeks ago at the theme of kindness or steadfast love, the steadfast love of the Lord and the influence that it had on those in that book, his covenant loyalty to us. Uh, last week, we looked at the theme of providence. And though the Lord is not mentioned directly in the book of Ruth, but a couple of times, we did see the hidden hand of God working in the lives of those mentioned in that book, Ruth and Naomi and Boaz and Today we come to the final message from this book and we will review what many think is the most important theme in the book of Ruth and that is the theme of redemption. Redemption. Redemption is a, a Bible word, isn't it? Because we don't really use that word outside of the Bible or uh, theological discussion, do we? Uh, I think that probably the most prevalent use of the word redeem is when you and I uh, make a big mistake and we want to try to make up for that mistake. And so what do we say? I've got to redeem myself. Or maybe someone who we uh, have made the mistake uh, toward will say, well, I hope you can redeem yourself. <laughs> 
We Americans are good at taking Bible words and turning them around and upside down and making them mean the exact opposite of what they mean because one redeeming themselves is the exact opposite of what the word means in Scripture, right? <laughs> a completely foreign idea. Someone who is in need of redemption is looking to someone else to redeem them. You can't redeem yourself, can you? Not to say that you, you, you maybe shouldn't try to make up for a mistake if, you, if, you, if any of you were unfortunate enough to make one this week. We see in the book of Ruth, though, that the people mentioned in this book need redemption they they cannot redeem themselves we we see this with uh, Naomi this Hebrew woman who goes away to Moab and there her Moabite daughter-in-law Ruth are in no situation to help themselves are they 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 can't bring about their redemption what is pointed to here in this book and what I want to show you today is not uh, primarily the idea of redemption or the doctrine of redemption, not that we shouldn't know this, but for us to see a redeemer, to see a person, our redeemer. That's a subtle difference, I know, but it's a very important difference. Our focus on this theme of redemption must become a focus on the Redeemer. Because what we focus on is never as much the what as it is the who. Let me say that again. Our focus is not as much on the what of redemption, but on the who, the one who redeems us, our Redeemer, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to ask you today... Have you been redeemed? Do you know the Redeemer? Well, I want to begin by establishing this shift in our minds from redemption to Redeemer, and I think it's something that is actually shown to us in Scripture, particularly this book of Ruth. Now, what do I mean? Well, let's go through this and we'll see this idea or this doctrine, we might say, of redemption is important. But we are not saved by looking to a doctrine. We are saved by looking to a person. And when we study salvation, we must recognize that we are appointed and connected to a Savior when we study election, we must see that there is one who has chosen us. When we study adoption, it must point us to the Father who has adopted us into his family. Sanctification to the one who cleanses us, our Lord Jesus Christ, through his precious blood. Now, I've read this 130th Psalm, and we're going to go back to that here in just a moment. But first, I want to ask you to flip over to Ruth, to the second chapter can hold that psalm there because we're going to come back to it, but I want us to look to the first reference here in Ruth of Redeemer and Redemption. 
Again, this is a this is a Bible word, a Bible concept, and what we must understand here at the beginning is that redemption calls to mind the idea of a transfer of ownership. A transfer of ownership through payment. Now, now this is seen in many ways and in many different contexts in the Old Testament. But most fundamentally, most importantly, and referenced throughout Scripture by far the most in Israel's redemption from Egypt at the Exodus. I know all of you know the story, don't you? And what we need to be mindful of is that the Lord in redeeming His people from Egypt didn't just set them free from Egypt. It wasn't okay. Now, go out and do whatever. No, it was setting them free from someone and there's a transfer of ownership. Who do they belong to now? They belong to Him. And that's why when we trace the steps of the Exodus, what do we see immediately after they come out? What do they do? They gather at the foot of Mount Sinai and they meet their God who speaks to them, gives them his law and tells them, this is how you are to worship me. And so we see that this redemption is not just a redemption in that it is a freeing from something, but it is a freeing it's a transfer of ownership from one, from Pharaoh and Egypt to the Lord God. This transfer took place through a payment. A payment was made. If someone is redeemed, it is because a payment has been made. And the payment, of course, was all the firstborn in Egypt whose houses were not covered by the blood of the Lamb. So a transfer through payment. This transfer is very important for us to understand. Now, it's, it's seen in two ways. It's figurative, okay? As soon as these people came out of Egypt, this, this great nation came from Egypt, they were transferred from Pharaoh's dominion and power to the lordship of their God. But this Transfer was also seen in a physical, literal sense, wasn't it? Again, they didn't just come out to roam around in the desert. They did for quite some time, but eventually they were transferred from Egypt to their land, a land that God had promised Abraham, I am going to bring your descendants back here. This was Canaan, the promised land. So please note here, your redemption by the Father through His Son is not freedom to do whatever you want. It is a transfer from the dominion of the evil one to come under the dominion of your Lord and to do what He says as he directs us in his word. So, let's jump into the story of Ruth and 
Everything that I've just mentioned to you, in a sense, we see in the book of Ruth. Redemption involves an exodus. It involves a payment paid and transfer of ownership. Let me ask you this. Do we have an exodus in the book of Ruth? Yes, we do, don't we? We have a family that has migrated to Moab. The father dies, Naomi's husband Elimelech. His two sons die, and Naomi is left, and Ruth, and there is an exodus from Moab back to Bethlehem. That's an exodus. Let me ask you, are all their problems over? No, in a sense, that, that just kind of sets the stage for what we have in this book, isn't it? Naomi and Ruth are still in need of redemption. They need the Lord's plentiful redemption, as the psalmist says, because they need a security. They need provision. There is no, no, no husband, no one to provide for, no one to care for, no one to protect. They're, they're very uh, in, a, in a dangerous situation. They can be taken advantage of. They have property that must be redeemed. And there is no heir. They need a male heir. And here is where Boaz, the Redeemer, comes into the story. Now watch carefully what we find here in the text. Now by my count, in the book of Ruth, there are about 20 occurrences of the word uh, redeemed, uh, redemption, redeemer, uh, words that are in that family, about 20. Almost half of them are in the form of the noun that is pointed to the person, redeemer. This is new because previously to this, we do not have the Lord being referred to as Israel's redeemer. Now, is he? Of course he is. But this is the shift that I'm talking about. Of course, the Lord is Israel's redeemer. But it is this, if God has given his people this book to show them a picture of what this person who acts as redeemer looks like. We have this idea of redemption, transfer of ownership. But our focus is on the redeemer, the one who does the work of redemption, the one who accomplishes the redemption, the person. Now, here's the first usage of the word in Ruth. It's found in chapter 2, verse 20. And if you remember the story, Ruth has been out gleaning in this field all day, this field that belonged to Boaz. And she's had this meal. Now, I'm not going to go back and rehash everything. All these sermons are archived. If you want to go back and listen to them, you can. Do you remember the story, right? At some point during the day, she was invited to come up and eat with Boaz, to, to feast at his table. And so she takes all that she's gleaned. After that meal, he gives her a bunch of extra food, and then she goes back and tells Naomi, who is surely astonished at the amount of food that Ruth brings home, and asks her in verse 19 of chapter 2, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. This is not what Naomi was expecting after Ruth came home from working. 
And Ruth answers her, The man's name with whom I worked today is Boaz. And I bet Naomi's eyes lit up. Because she says in verse 20, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Now, we know the story, and again, the point today is not to go back through and rehash every bit of the story, okay? But what I want us to notice is that the Lord has so worked things in this story as a part of Holy Scripture, not simply to give us a beautiful picture of redemption, because it, it certainly is, but what He wants us to see is one pictured who is a redeemer. He wants to show us this is a real live example. This is a picture of a redeemer. This is what a redeemer does. And there's a lot for Boaz to do. As redeemer, he will have to act to marry Ruth. Together they must have a son to carry on the family name. He must act to restore the property that has been temporarily given up while Elimelech sojourned in Moab. And so the task is very great. And what we see is that not only is Boaz qualified for such, but he is willing and anxious to do it. Willing and anxious. Qualified, why? Because he is a close relative. And willing, why? Because Boaz is a man who has come to understand the steadfast love of his covenant Lord, and he reciprocates that steadfast love. Think about it, brothers and sisters. Boaz is going to show steadfast love, covenant loyal love to a foreigner that he just met. <laughs> unusual, isn't it? Oh, brothers and sisters, I hope you understand how unusual it is, the love that God has for you. Boaz is a near kinsman, a close relative. Close. And that's what made him qualified. He, he could not have done this if there had not been a, a relationship. If he had been outside the family, he would not have qualified. And so think about this in the way that it relates to the Lord Jesus and how he has come close to you. He became a man. That's mind-boggling. The God who created everything came to this world, took on flesh, became a, a human being. He has come close to us. He has so identified with us. This is talked about in the book of Hebrews. Chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Jesus calls you, his brothers and sisters, <laughs> saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers 
In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. The Lord Jesus, our Redeemer, has come into this world. Become our near kinsman. Become like us. And Hebrews 12, verse 17 goes on uh, with this same idea. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus had to become like us so that he could qualify to be our Redeemer. Well, this is pictured here for us in the book of Ruth in this person of Boaz, a, a near kinsman, one who is, is qualified, someone in the family who not only brings redemption, but he does so by showing steadfast, loyal love. Well, that takes me to uh, the second point that I want us to see regarding uh, redeemers in this book of Ruth. And we must note that there are false redeemers. False redeemers. We see from the story of Ruth that Boaz is qualified as a near kinsman to act as redeemer. And we note his desire to, to act as well, his enthusiasm. And when we see that, we might stop and think, well, of course, uh, wouldn't anybody who is qualified to act as redeemer, wouldn't anybody act as redeemer? And the answer is no. Not everybody will do what Boaz does, even though they're qualified. This takes us to the high point of the drama, the scene in chapter 4 at the gate of Bethlehem. But before we get there, I want us to just note that there is a promise of redemption before we get to chapter 4 and that scene unfolds at the, at the gate of Bethlehem. There is before that the promise of redemption. From chapter 3, uh, Boaz has expressed his desire to act as redeemer. If you think back to that part of the story, uh, Ruth had gone to the threshing floor late at night. Boaz is asleep. And something happens, but he's, he's startled. And he wakes up and he sees laying at his feet, Ruth. And remember what she says? Spread your wings over your servant. Let's, let's read it from the text. This is verse 9 of chapter 3. He, Boaz, said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And Boaz said, and here's the promise in verses 12 and 13, and now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight in the morning, and if he will redeem you good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then... As the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Boaz not simply makes a commitment here, but he takes a vow. He promises this not just to Ruth, but to the Lord. As the Lord lives, 
What I want you to, to see here and, and to understand is that in Christ we have the promise of redemption. Plentiful redemption. Full, complete redemption. And there is no one else who can redeem us. Whether you realize it or not, you need redemption. And there's only one person who can do it. And he can because he's qualified. And he will because of his great love. Uh, this is essential for us to remember because it's easy to get caught up into the, into the trap and the lie of false redeemers. There will be those who come along to promise us redemption. Now, I'm not saying that they come out and explicitly say, hey, I'm going to act as redeemer, but they're promising you hope. Things are promising hope that cannot deliver the kind of hope that we need, the hope that we have in the gospel. Maybe it's a, another person or maybe it's something. We look to other things, and it's imperative that we recognize that the redemption that we need can only be provided through the Lord Jesus. So now we go to the gate of Bethlehem, and the scene there unfolds. Remember, this is the high point of the drama in this book. And what do we see? Who's in control? Boaz, right? He is working with expediency and commitment. He is going to get an answer. And so he finds the other redeemer. He gathers the elders who can witness this situation. And when he spoke of the land that needed to be redeemed, this other redeemer went right along and said and at the end of verse 4, I will redeem it. But Boaz continues, remember the story? Now, if you do that, that also means that you have to take Ruth as your wife, the wife of the deceased. It's a part of the package. And guess what? This redeemer, this other, this other man, we can call him a false redeemer, backs out. He's unwilling to take the risk uh, or, or uh, his own words in verse 6 of chapter 4, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I impair my own inheritance. And with those words, the way is cleared for Boaz to now act as redeemer. And we know he does immediately. And the redemption that he promised the redemption that looked to be in jeopardy because of a false redeemer is now accomplished through Boaz. Now the text doesn't say either way, but I think it's possible that there may have been some risk for Boaz. I mean, surely there was. I mean, Boaz is, is a man of great standing in the community and he's going to marry a foreigner? That could have hurt his image. Boaz is acting in the hopes that there will be a male heir through this marriage. There's no guarantee of that, is there? 
and yet he acts. He is willing, whatever the risk is to him, whatever it may cost him, Boaz acts. And what we see is not only a qualification, but a willingness, a desire, a selfless sacrifice and action on the part of one who is risking what he has for himself. I mean, Boaz would have been fine if he would have said no. Right? I mean, think, think of who Boaz is in the community. Man of great reputation, probably a war hero. Everybody in town knows him. He's revered. Why would you jeopardize that? And what a beautiful picture of our Lord Jesus leaving the glory of heaven, coming not, not knowing that it might cost him, knowing that it would cost him. It would cost him the greatest price that's ever been paid. And he gave up everything. What a beautiful picture here in Ruth of our Redeemer. Amen. Now, if you're still holding your place in Psalm 30, I haven't forgot about it. Let's go back there. We're going to go through this quickly. This is not necessarily going to be a, a verse by verse uh, taking our time to go through this psalm. Maybe we'll do that some other time. But for right now, I want you to just go back and we use this psalm as a, a launching pad, if you will. Not simply because it contains the, the idea of redemption, but because of the kind of redemption that is described here. Uh, when we take what our Bibles say up to this point about redemption, we see several different types. Uh, we see Israel's redemption from bondage to Egypt. They're slaves. And we see them being redeemed from that slavery. They're no longer slaves. And, and similarly... Uh, a Hebrew could redeem a fellow Hebrew slave if someone had given themselves up to slavery to another Hebrew because uh, maybe they had uh, things had just really gone bad. Well, another Hebrew could pay the price and free them from that. There's different kinds of redemption in the Old Testament. And here in Ruth, we see the redemption of both Naomi and Ruth, two widows who... Uh, neither of whom had husbands or sons. And we see their redemption. We see the redemption of this property. But it is not until we reach the 130th Psalm that we have the idea of redemption from sin. And it's interesting that David, for all that he knew with his Background in the Hebrew scriptures, a, a, a Hebrew man himself <coughs> comes to realize that our need of redemption is not just all these different situations that we may find ourselves in. We need the Lord's plentiful redemption, redeeming us in every way. I want you to consider a couple of points with me from this psalm. First, I want you to notice that this psalm is a desperate prayer. Verse 1, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for, for mercy. So, so David is calling from the pit, a, a literal pit, maybe. But 
at the very least, he's speaking metaphorically because you understand this, don't you? You've been in a pit. Again, not a literal pit. But you've been in that deep place that it's just, it's dark. You feel alone. You don't feel like there's anything you can do. Uh, someone throw me a, a, a line down in this pit and pull me out. What is it that brings us to those places of despair and anguish? Well, it's sin, isn't it? It's not necessarily our sin, but often it is. But sin is the problem, and we see this next from David with a humble confession. He, he confesses his sin, his iniquity. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? So David is confessing, I've got one, no, two, three, four. Uh, Lord, you don't mark them, do you? Thankfully, you don't. We, we, couldn't, we couldn't stand if you did. When we look back at the book of Ruth, we see her and Naomi, and we, we don't see the mention of their personal sin, do we, that's caused all these problems for them, and yet it is still a sin problem that must somehow be attached to the fall. She's lost her husband. She's lost her sons. Ruth has lost her husband. Where, where did death come from? It came about because of the fall and sin. Naomi is in Moab. Why is she in Moab? It, it appears from the text that she's in Moab because there's a famine in Bethlehem. Why is there a famine? God's judgment. Because of what? Because of sin. Uh, sin is in the story. It can't be avoided. And of course, we see in Naomi her own personal bitterness and resentment toward God for letting all these things happen to her. Everything for which Naomi and Ruth need redemption is the result of sin in the fall. And David rightly acknowledges this here in this psalm. So we have a, a desperate prayer and we have confession. And then third, notice that he recognizes the grueling part of this process, waiting and watching. Verses 5 and 6, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. These verses express something that is taking place at the level of David's soul, right? He's speaking from his, his soul. My soul waits. And we cry out to God and we don't get an immediate answer. And so what do we have to do? If he's the only one who can redeem us, if he's the only one who can help us, what can we do except wait? And we don't like that, do we? Boy, we get everything so immediate and so fast and, and we're so comfortable in any discomfort at all. Oh, it's, there's a quick fix. <laughs> 
But sometimes in that process, and, and some of you know what I'm talking about, you pray, you cry out, and, and you just have to keep praying and keep waiting. And the illustration that David uses here is the watchman on the, on the wall in the dead of night. Imagine what that must be like. You're on guard duty and it's dark. You hear a noise. <laughs> All the military guys will certainly get this. And if you've got duty during the night, the one thing you can't wait to see is that glimmer of light over the horizon. Oh, finally, I can see. <laughs> this is way back before there's any street lights. It's dark. It's scary. And you're waiting and waiting and waiting. And then we come to the last two verses to conclude. David expresses a, a hopeful expectation, a great hope in the promise of God to redeem his people with redemption that is described in verse 7 as plentiful. Plentiful. Uh, this is the same word that is used back in Genesis 7. Everybody remember what's happening back in Genesis 7? What's happening there? A flood. What is there uh, plentiful in Genesis 7? Water. <laughs> These waters came up and covered the earth. Heaped up. There's a, there's a pile. Uh, imagine you, uh, like Stacy, we... we Found a plant <laughs> the other day, <laughs> uh, but we didn't have enough dirt. And so we needed some more dirt to get this plant uh, situated and to make sure that it's healthy. It's just in a, in a planter. And so imagine you calling someone up and saying, hey, I need some dirt. Can you get me some dirt? And they, they back up to your driveway with a dump truck and dump it out. And they're there. There's just some dirt. It's plentiful, overabundance. That is the picture of the Lord's redemption. It's plentiful. This is the picture of redemption that is promised to God's people. This, this hope that David clings to is that God will hear his prayer from the depths and send someone to redeem him from his sin. And guess what? God heard that prayer. And he kept the promise that he had made to send a redeemer, uh, something that is pictured beautifully in that exodus, something that's pictured beautifully in the book of Ruth with Boaz. He sent someone, the Lord Jesus, our redeemer, the, the spotless lamb, as we see in Exodus. And, and Boaz, who was uniquely qualified and willing joyfully and enthusiastically to do this at risk to himself. This is who the Lord Jesus is who comes into the world to be the redeemer of his people. And so now a transfer has been taken place. A price has been paid. And Ephesians 1 verse 7 says this, In him, Jesus we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Riches that you and I cannot comprehend.
that is how we know for sure that this redemption has taken place. We know that the Father has accepted the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus. How do we know? Because on the third day, He rose again. And you and I, everyone in this room, who has put our faith and trust in Jesus can affirm the words found in Job 19, verse 25. You know those words, don't you? I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last He will stand Upon the earth. And so I ask you as I began this morning. Do you know your Redeemer? There is a Redeemer. Jesus. God's own Son. Do you know that song Sarah was playing earlier? Precious Lamb of God. Messiah. Holy One. The only one who could pay the price and free us from the bondage of this world and our sin and the devil. Jesus has done it. To him be all the praise and glory. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what great hope you have given us in the gospel found Throughout the pages of your holy word, we see the hope of the gospel in the Psalter. We see it in these historical books such as Ruth. Beautiful promises and pictures that have been fulfilled and will be fulfilled. When the Lord Jesus comes to take his bride home, our, our near kinsman, our Redeemer, to come and be with him forever. We cling to that hope, and Father, we pray that as we wait, you would strengthen our hearts through the message of the gospel, that you would strengthen our witness, that you would bless our church, that we would be faithful to you. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. We will respond in a traditional